Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3 says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. Genesis 12, 2, make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. The one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. If you look at uh, Genesis 12 and look at verse, uh, oh, let's skip on to chapter 13, verse 14. 13, 14 says, and the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give to you and to your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants uh, can also be numbered. And so Abram walked about the earth, walked about the land, its length, its breadth, and God reminded him, I'm going to give it to you. But Abram had a question, and it's found in Genesis 15, verse 2. Abram said, oh, Lord God. Now, how many of us have had a promise given to us, and maybe it's been affirmed or reconfirmed multiple times, but we still have the yeah, but syndrome. How many of you want to admit that you're, you're in that camp? Oh, Lord, I know you've given me these promises, but what will you give me since I am childless? You've been making all these grandiose promises to me, but Lord, let me just remind you of the status of my wife and I, just in case you missed it. I am childless. I do not have an heir. How am I going to have descendants that outnumber the sand of the seashore? And in this chapter, we'll see as, you know, if you could number the stars in the sky... If I don't even have a child, and by the way, my biological clock is ticking. (laughs) Lord, do you hear it? Tick, tick, tick. (laughs) And we get worried about this kind of stuff. How are you going to handle this, Lord? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus, who was probably a steward born in Abram's household. He said, okay, Lord, Um, I've got a steward here, but is that how this is going to work? And Abram said, since thou hast given me no offspring, uh, one born in my house is my heir. That's the way it works. And so I guess that's what I'm going to have to settle for. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who shall come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. The word of the Lord came And it came bringing further revelation. Abram, no. This is not going to be done any other way than in the natural way. You are going to have an heir come from your body. And he took him outside. Have you ever done this? Maybe with, uh, you know, if you ever get to go to a place where maybe you can see stars in Southern California. (laughs) Maybe you go up to a cabin or some people like to go to the desert. Even sometimes if you're on the the beach, and you look up at the stars. And that's what God did. He took him outside and he said, now look toward the heavens. Count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. 
In Isaiah 40, verse 26, the Bible says, as Israel questions God's faithfulness later in the life of the nation, God says, look, I, not, not only did I make the stars, I call them all by name. And I have not forgotten you, O Israel. Why do you assert, O Jacob? Why do you say, O Israel, the Lord, he's not paying attention to what's going on. I'm paraphrasing in my life. No, Abram, a vast people is coming from your body. In fact, not only is a vast people coming from your body, not only are you going to inherit a spacious land, but this is really important, you guys. From your loins, Abram, is coming the Messiah. The promise I made back in Genesis 3, when your parents fell in the garden, from you, Abram, will come the Redeemer, the Savior. And in Genesis 22, which we'll get to later, Abram has an idea that he's acting out prophecy with the son of promise, with Isaac. God is doing a marvelous work in Abram's life. And Abram may even at this point have an idea that God is going to bring the Savior from his own loins or his own family heritage. And then this critical verse. Then he, verse 6, Abram, believed in the Lord. And he, that's God, reckoned or credited or counted it, that is his belief, back to him as righteousness. See the word believed in Hebrew, it is the word alman, A-M-A-N. That's how we would translate it, transliterate it, alman. What's that sound like to you? Amen. Abraham, God made a promise and Abraham said, amen. And when you say amen, by the way, what you are saying is, it is so So when you amen a preacher, you better make sure the preacher's preaching truth. Did you hear that? Right on cue. Amen. Sometimes I've seen certain contexts where amen should not be being made. I remember after a slow pitch softball game, we were praying and, uh, you know, we were in some strong competition that day and. Uh, somebody decided they would pray over their favorite baseball team. I think they were a Yankee fan. And so, you know, they said, oh, Lord, I don't even know if she pray about stuff like this, but oh, Lord, let the Yankees do well. And, you know, and somebody in the group who was not a Yankees fan said, I cannot say the amen <laughs> and released the hands of all Yankee fans. <laughs> but... W.H. Griffith observes the original Hebrew for believed comes from a root whence we derive our amen. And we might paraphrase it by saying that Abram said amen to the Lord. This is a statement of faith. God said it and Abram said, even though I don't completely get it and even though I haven't fully realized it, amen. And you know what? You and I are in the same boat tonight. I haven't seen him yet, not face to face, but I love him. He's told me he's preparing a place for me. I'm not at that city yet, and I'm not trying to rush it either. (laughs) And right now, I'm 
here in my faith journey, here with you. We're walking by faith, not by sight. And we're standing on the promises. And if you are a believer, you have said to God, amen. I believe. Do you know that your whole life will be determined on whether or not you can say amen to what God says? Your whole life. And not only your life now, but your destiny will be determined on who you say amen to. Which voice do you want to listen to? Whose, you know, flute or Pied Piper or drum do you want to march to? Who are you going to believe? You're going to, you're going to embrace some worldview that says something about life's philosophy. Where are you? You know, Abram had a pagan background. It wasn't like he was born in a believing household. Joshua 24 tells us that his parents were pagans. You may be the first Christian in your family. Maybe you're a person that's starting to check out Christianity and you're wondering, man, I don't know. I don't have this background. I don't, I don't even know where most of the books are where the preacher says to turn to. That's okay. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. You know where one is. That's a good start. And so something else happened when Abram believed in the Lord and that's one of the most important things to God that you trust him, that you say yes to him. God did something. Abram believed and God credited that belief to him as what? As righteousness. Do you know that so many people are wondering how one can be right with God? Do you know that just about every, I think it's every world religion and and ism that you can think of will tell you that to be righteous in God's sight, you're going to have to do certain things. You're going to have to measure up to certain standards. You're going to have to let your good works outweigh your bad works And if you do, then one day you will be righteous, hopefully, in the courts of God. But what did Abram do here that made him righteous? He believed. Would you take and turn to Romans 4? Take your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 4. This is one of the places where the Apostle Paul picks up this idea. Romans 4, much of the teaching in Paul's day was that righteousness came by works, and that's what they taught in much of their literature about the patriarchs. And Paul, in the famous um, grace section, which is, you know, all through the book of Romans, he says these words, Romans 4, verse 1, Romans 4, 1, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Whenever you want to answer a question like this, ask the next question, Romans 4.3, what does the scriptures say? And Paul quoting Genesis 15.6 says, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not reckoned as a favor, but what is due. If you and I contracted for work at $10 an hour and you said, Pastor Michael, I'll pay you to pull my weeds. I would probably negotiate with you. More like $100 an hour is what I'd want to pull weeds. But 
Let's say we agreed, and I came to your house, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed at 11 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) And let's say I put in a hard eight hours, and I come to you at 7 p.m., and I say, I pulled your weeds, I made your yard look nice, you owe me 80 bucks. And let's say that you, you know, get ready to pull out your wallet and you say, Pastor Michael, you sure should be grateful that I'm about to give you this $80. This is a gift I'm giving you out of my benevolent heart. I would say to you, no, you're not. You and I had a contract. I pulled your weeds. You owe me $80. You see, but that's not how this works. Now, to the one who works, his wage is not reckoned as a favor or a gift, but what is due him. But to the one, verse 5, who does not work, but believes in him who justifies who? The ungodly. His faith is reckoned as righteousness. Just as David, another great patriarch, also speaks of the blessing upon the man to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. Verse 7, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven from Psalm 32, 1 and 2, and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not, what? Take into account. This is all accounting terminology. If you turn to Galatians We'll pick up another section here. Just keep going right. Galatians chapter three. This is all accounting terminology. And it's not just about Abram. And we say, well, Abram, you know, he was doing pretty good. He had the fumble in Egypt, but he seemed to be a man walking by faith. But how about David? Because Psalm 32 is written when David sinned with Bathsheba. And so now David picks up this beautiful idea of righteousness by faith and he says, blessed is the man or the woman whose lawless deeds are covered. David should have died for his sin with Bathsheba. But the Lord covered. And people get nervous when you start teaching salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, plus nothing, because they say something like this, well, then people are going to do just whatever they want to do, and Christians are going to go out, and they're going to live however they want. And Paul says, no, you never use grace as what? An excuse for sin. That's Romans 6, verse 1. And I will tell you that there's a list of things that happen to believers if you decide to toy with God's grace. Number one, you invite the discipline of God into your life. If you want to write these down, I I went through these in Romans 4, which is on the website. If a Christian wants to toy with God's grace, walk the razor's edge, you know, say they are part of heaven, but then live like hell the rest of the week, you are inviting the discipline of God into your life. Hebrews 12 God disciplines the son in whom he delights. If God loves you, he will discipline you. So that's a guarantee you have. I'm not talking about if you make a mistake that God's ready to whack you with the stick. I'm talking about if you continue to push the envelope and people get nervous and they say, well, how could you tell somebody they won't lose their salvation? Oh, well, if they're saved, I don't believe they will, but I believe they can be disciplined by the Lord. Number two, I believe they can lose rewards in heaven. Number three, I believe that you can lose your testimony before your friends and family. 
You may not lose your salvation, but you'll lose your witness. Is that what you want? After David sinned with Bathsheba, uh, the prophet told him, now you've given the enemies of God reason to blaspheme. Yeah, God forgave you, David, but it doesn't mean you don't have consequences. And in the, in the things that I would list to a, a person who is messing with the grace of God, that's probably fourth on my list, and that is consequences. The child that was born to David and Bathsheba in that uh, extramarital adultery, that child died. That was God's discipline on David. Yeah, David was forgiven, but the baby died. So look, even though grace is amazing, and even though it saved a wretch like me, it doesn't mean that you toy with grace. It means you grow. You say, but Pastor Michael, this may be like number five on our list. What if I make a mistake? Look, you're going to make mistakes every day. I make mistakes every day. Being a Christian is not about perfection. It is about direction. Being a Christian is not about being sinless, but it is about sinning less. And if you make a mistake, the best thing that you can do, and you will make mistakes, is repent of it quickly. So let's say you skin your knee, you blow it. Let's say that you consider something and you even, you know, think about it and you premeditated and you still sin. The best thing to do, instead of listening to the voice of the one who wants to condemn you, which is Satan, and knowing that you're not condemned in Jesus Christ, Romans 8.1, repent of it quickly, make amends if you need to, and move forward in your walk with Jesus Christ. But don't toy with God's grace. You're just not to do that. You see, there's a list that we can make of ramifications of when someone takes grace as an excuse for sin. David says, you don't delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You're not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. That's Psalm 51 16 and 17. And so this is what Abraham and David found. They found a God that is gracious, but a God that's also holy. Look at Galatians 3, verse 6. It says, even so, uh, Galatians 3, 6, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. The second place where this is quoted in the New Testament. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. By the way, at this point in Abraham's life, Genesis 15, he's not technically a Jew. You could say he's a Hebrew, but he's not been circumcised. He will be circumcised in Genesis 17, which is about 14 years after this. So technically he's not in that covenant, if you will. And so you might even say that right now he represents a group that could include Gentiles. I'll let you wrestle with that a little bit theologically. But the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham saying, all the nations shall be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. It is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, 
The righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not a faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that's non-Jews, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it is only man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed, that is Christ. What I'm saying is this. The law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. So this is the second spot where it is mentioned. Now, back to Genesis um, chapter 15, and I'll mention the third spot where it's mentioned because this, this does bring up questions, and it's in James 2. And in that section, James is arguing still that we are saved by grace. I don't think he contradicts Paul, but what he's saying is that if you say you have faith and you have no works, can that type of faith save you? Here's the, here's the deal. If a man says he has faith, but he has no works, then what he truly has is a said faith and not a real faith. This is the essence of James chapter two. The other place where Genesis 15, six is quoted. And what James is basically saying is, yes, you are saved by grace, but if you don't have works, then that faith is dead. It's not a real living faith. Abraham had marvelous works. He even was willing to sacrifice Isaac later in Genesis 22, but he was saved by grace. And that's the point of the passage. But because you are saved by grace, it should motivate you to do great works for God. Amen? You should want to live out a life of gratitude to God. But having begun in the spirit, we're not going to be perfected in the flesh. It's going to be all the work of the spirit, the work of the spirit in salvation and the work of the spirit in sanctification. If you got... If you're born again of the Holy Spirit and now you're trying to get sanctified by the flesh, good luck. It's not gonna work. And this is the essence of Galatians 3, 1 and 3. Oh, foolish Galatians, 1 through 3, Galatians 3. Who's bewitched you? You began in the Spirit. Now you're gonna be perfected in the flesh. Now you think you gotta do it by works? No, that's not the deal. It's all the Spirit. And the more I'm walking with the Lord, the more I'm realizing how much it's not just about, you know, uh, it's not really about self-effort at all. It's about surrender. You might want to write that down. It's not about self-effort. It's about surrender. And when I surrender to the Holy Spirit and the things of God, then the beauty of the life of God comes out of my life. Genesis 15, 7, he said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out. You might want to write down Exodus 20, verse 2 there. Same language as when God brought out the children of Israel out of Egypt. I brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans, Genesis 15, 7, to give you this land, to possess it. 
Now, even with this great belief, Abram is still human. And he says, oh, Lord God, how may I know that I shall possess it? This is a great promise. And I don't know that this is a lack of faith. I think he's looking for more detail, maybe some confirmation. You ever been there before? Gideon did this. Lord, I'm going to put the fleece out. (laughs) What, three different times, Lord? I hope this doesn't bother you, but could I get one more confirmation? One more validation? Anybody there? Lord, do you really want me to do that? I know you've given me 17 confirmations, but I'm looking for the 18th. And then I'll be... Are you that person? Folks, here you are. You're listening to a radio program. We get statistics, Oscar, that you know possibly up to 40% of our listening audience is either unchurched or not a Christian. And so this is the way you enter into the new covenant. What happened with Abram is a picture of the new covenant, wholly dependent on God, a unilateral, unconditional covenant that one enters into by simply believing the Lord. And when he believed in the Lord, God credited it to him as righteousness. God said, okay, you believe me, you trust my word, now I'm going to give you my righteousness. And this is what carries over into the New Testament, Oscar, which you well know about Romans 4. It's called imputed righteousness. And Abram is the great picture of that in Genesis 15. What I'm sure you explained was that as in the old times, when people would make a covenant, they would get one animal or maybe a few, cut them in half and allow the blood to spill in the middle. And the both parties would walk through, say, if I broke the covenant, may what happened to these animals happen to me. But in this case, Abram was asleep. And God said, this covenant is one-sided. It's me. The only thing you need to do is just accept it. And like you said, on the new covenant, all you have to do is say yes, because Jesus sacrificed himself. It's not by works. It's all by faith and accepting what was done on the cross for us. Amen. And it doesn't mean that, um, Oscar, that Abram didn't act out his faith Mm -hmm. after this. In Genesis 22, he goes up and offers that son of promise years later, probably when Isaac is a late teenager. And that's celebrated in the book of James. But that comes way after he gets imputed righteousness simply by his belief. Here in Genesis 15, he believes. His whole life is really about a walk of faith, but Genesis 22 is much later, and his works then testify to that imputed righteousness. And I think that's the that's how it works for a Christian. We have the Holy Spirit. Our lives are a thank you note to God, but we still want to walk out who we are. Mm-hmm. We want to work out what God is working in us. Yes. And I think Abram is a beautiful picture of that. Yes. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.